You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, the Utes defeat the team down south in a historic fashion, and we're looking forward to to the Utes taking on the Washington Huskies in the Pac-12 championship game. And we're also joined by our friends of the Dog Pod podcast and to get their take on the Washington Huskies. I'm Cameron and we got Ryan. Hey, Ute Nation. And Scott. Yeah, go Utes, baby. We'll be telling that I got a, a nice little skip in my step today. You always have a nice skip in your step. <laughs> it's because you're only wearing one shoe. <laughs> Hey, I'll wear one shoe if that means Utah comes behind to beat the team down south and start prepping for A rivalry for generations and a comeback for the ages. How long do you think he was practicing that? And did he read it off of a flashcard? (laughs) It actually, the timing of that was was perfect. It was perfect. He he did an excellent job. But I always think in those moments, like, how long did they practice that? And was it written down? Or did they just come up with some of the stuff on the fly? Good to come up with something like that. I know, in right? That particular moment. <laughs> that was good. Obviously, I w- we were all, at least the three of us, were at the game, so we uh, did not hear any of the broadcast live. But going back and watching it, uh, a lot of uh, they were very high on Utah, and I'll tell you what, Rice Cycle Stadium was amazing. It was that fourth lit. quarter. Holy smoke! I watching the game over again. That's one thing I took away from. I know Whittingham complimented the fans, but really the fans stayed in the game the entire time. Even when it was twenty to zero at halftime, the fans were still into the game, and I'm sure it had a lot to do because of who Utah was playing. But Rice Eccles was phenomenal. And in that fourth quarter, that was probably the best atmosphere that well, stadium has I mean, been in. You in had years. everybody standing. It wasn't just a moment or two that people got excited about. It was just this growing momentum where nobody sat down. I don't think we sat the entire fourth quarter. No, and and but and there was action. There was just defensive stops. Their offense was scoring on four straight possessions. I mean, it was it was amazing. It was what a comeback. Unfortunately, they forgot to play the first half, which is what needed that second half to be so amazing to get that win. You know, I was thinking about how the atmosphere of that fourth quarter and trying to compare it to other atmospheres we've experienced at Rice-Eccles. Like Cameron said, it was I probably one of the top, if not the top, the other two that come to mind were both against USC when Travis Wilson played Hercules. That that was that that was that was a lot of fun and that was a big moment. I at least from my perspective, I think the loudest I ever recall is probably that TCU in 08. And I, that was the game I was not at. Where were you? I don't remember, but I wasn't there for it. Were oh, you there, Cam? Oh, why am I shaking my head? You can't see that. Yeah, yeah I was there. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is a radio show. This is no, audio only. I missed that was one of the few games I've ever missed in my Yeah, in my I fandom I remember to, obviously. And again, that was more that was a pretty slow game until late late as well. And so there was but in that fourth quarter light man, it was so loud. But I think the pandemonium and just the kind of the jubilation that was going on, everybody 
you looked around the stadium and it was just chaos everywhere. People were going nuts. Cameron was running up and down the aisles, high-fiving strangers. <laughs> there was a guy throwing popcorn all over. It was awesome. It was it was a lot of fun. We get crazy here in Utah. So let's get into the offense uh, with this game. So Utah's first half was Yuck. not pretty. Four first downs, 86 total yards. It was ugly. So I think the three of us kind of chatted about it at a halftime and throughout that first half, but... My conclusion was the team had as had the confidence of the fan base throughout last week, where we thought it was just going to be a walk in the park. All they had to do was show up, and they played the first half exactly like that. Yeah, I mean, I totally see where you're coming from, but they've started slow last couple, almost every game this season, they right? They have started that is slow. The That's kind of the M.O. of this team, but, and they kind of feel like... four they... first downs and a whole half against... Well, and I think what it comes down to, right, is that they start out slow, and they think they can just turn the switch on whenever. And BYU came ready and hyped to play the game. I don't mean to take anything away from the way BYU played because they they played (laughs) they played a lot better than I thought they would play, and they were they were in this game to win it. Yeah, I think it was a perfect storm. I mean, you look at it. There's, it was a lose-lose situation for Utah. You win, you're supposed to win. You've won eight straight. Oh, excuse me, at that time you'd won seven straight. You're supposed to win. The following week you're playing the, one of the most important games in your program's history, so you're hard not to look ahead. They're just – and if you lose, not only is a streak over, but you, you lose to a, a rival who's quote-unquote below you right before the biggest week in program history. So they're just – it was really a tough situation for Utah to uh, to have that focus and have that same that same in- intensity that they've had year in and year out for this rivalry game, especially and, – and that's it. BYU, they're desperate. Kalani, Kalani Sataki, that, he needs that win. He needs it for his resume. He needs it to keep his job – that fan base, that program wants that game so bad. And they came in. They had a great game plan. They outcoached us early. They out-executed us early. They deserved to be up three scores in that first half. Um, they just didn't sustain it. And Utah finally woke up, whether it was a, a, a motivating um, halftime speech from Kyle or whatever reason, everybody just started doing their job. And that's what Chase Hansen kind of alluded to in the first half, not everybody was doing their job, and that's what allowed some of those big plays, and they kind of focused in. Um, but you're not going to be able to get away with that come Friday night. You you can't mm-hmm. have that slow of a start and expect to, to come back against a good Washington team. So if anything, I take away from a, a maybe a win-win for Utah is – it got their attention. It refocused them. But then they had so much momentum at the end of that game. You can take that momentum, too, into Friday and hopefully keep going with it. Yeah, and you had mentioned there that they were outcoached in the first half, and, and clearly they were. My question then goes to, were they outcoached? Because our coaching staff was game planning for Washington much more than they were game planning for BYU. 
I mean, everyone from the coaching staff to all the players, they gave the correct answer and said, no, they were completely focused on BYU. They were reading off those scripts that le- that yeah, Witt had but, produced for him. But Whittingham said something in his post-game conference, did. their post-game press conference, that alluded to the fact that they had a plan in place for the Washington game already. And, and I, I don't know if he slipped. I don't know exactly what he, maybe he didn't mean that exactly how it came out. It made me think that, hey, they just kind of said, we can go out and beat BYU, but our focus is this championship game. Well, and, and, and I've heard many things, even from when Urban Meyer was here. I mean, you're, you're always going to get the coach speak from these guys, right? They, they don't want to put anything out there. They don't want to disrespect a, an opponent, nor do they want to put extra attention on a specific opponent. So they're, they're always going to take the one-game approach in the media. But you know behind closed doors, there's, that staff is big enough that they can assign a lot of things ahead of time to members of the mm-hmm. staff to go out and start doing some uh, some prep so that it it all doesn't have to happen in in 4 or 5 days because they knew this was going to be a short week one way or another you 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 can't convince me that they were not doing things behind the scenes to get ready for this game well and to that point uh, if you heard Winningham's post game comments he said they're not even going to watch the film of the BYU game that yeah, they don't have time. That was Saturday, so Sunday morning they were straight going into Washington, not even going to look at that that game's film. Well, and, and and truth be told, I'm not sure you want to watch a film of of an inferior opponent. Just kidding. No, but reality, I mean, ti- timeline and what you have to deal with, really anything you get out of that, you you've got to focus on on Washington, and you got to focus on what they bring to the table and how you're going to attack them especially on a short week, it all makes sense. So whatever the reason was, but it was just, it really was, to me, it just was a perfect storm of everything around that game did not belong there. And that's why, in my opinion, I don't know what Chris Hill was thinking, giving this game to Tom Homo at the end of the season, knowing that this could be a possibility. Mm -hmm. It's a meaningless game right before a potential huge matchup for the Pac-12 title. And I think that's something that fans have discussed for a couple of years now on on that trap kind of game happening and it And and obviously Chris how many years ago this was decided did not know, right? That we're going to be there, but you kind of but there's a possibility. But there's the possibility. Yeah. And so you know, you you obviously they learned the lesson and I I think Mark Carlin will probably be smart enough not to schedule this game moving forward. At the end of the season, it's got to be at the start. In my opinion, it's got to be before you're even playing conference games. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the contracts that we've seen that they've signed, all of them are at the beginning uh, or at, towards the beginning um, of the season. Uh, starting next se- next season, it's the first game of the year. Uh, I think you know that will help Utah be a little bit more juiced to be in it because it's their first game of the season. Well, I just hope that BYU's starting linebacker and running back will be available for the first game of next year. I hope our first string quarterback and running back are available for the start of next season, too. So let's kind of continue um, uh, with this offense. First half, really ugly. Second half really came out um, and, and turned it on in the second half. 28 unanswered points. Where did you guys kind of feel that Utah kind of got that momentum going? Do you think it was the turnover by Blackman for the touchdown? 
Was it the 75-yard drive towards the end of the third? When did you guys start feeling that the offense was coming together? I don't think we saw the offense come together until they scored on that drive. But I think I think the game started to change a little bit on the pick six because that brought some life to the team and I think probably put a little bit of doubt in BYU's team. However, they still ended up scoring after that pick six to put the lead back to 20. So that was kind of, from a fan standpoint, that was actually kind of deflating because we thought we're cut into this lead, here we come, and then boom, it's back to 20 points. And I thought, you know, that that, was, that could have been it. But uh, the offense really hadn't done anything until that 75-yard drive. So until they scored that second touchdown, I don't, I didn't believe that we were going to come back and win. No, but I, th- I think that first offensive touchdown that ended with the, the touchdown pass to Nakua, I think that was the key. Because if you think about it, we're down three scores. I was screaming in your ear, why are we running the ball? Why are we going so slow? But in reality, it was really smart to do what they were doing. They mm-hmm. they did not change their game plan. They continued to run. They, they didn't panic. To pick up yards, and here you know, in in the heat of the moment, I'm thinking, we don't have time to do this. We've got we're down three scores, and if we let them score again, you know, well, and especially since we're not a fast scoring offense we're a more methodical march yeah. down the field and that takes time so it if does. you're down three scores you've in in our mindset you've got it you've got to hustle but but see but in hindsight i think it was brilliant to not to not panic and to not move away so quickly because i think running the ball and intermixing it with completions through the passing game it's what gave the offense momentum and confidence to go and, and, and put four consecutive scoring um, possessions together. Because, I mean, obviously, if you don't score that first one, you know, none, of the, none of the others are going to matter. But that one was absolutely huge, I think, just to turn some offensive momentum. We were already turning the defensive momentum at that time, but offense, I think that's when it really changed. Well, and I think, too, it, it helps your offense get into a rhythm. And I think that's one thing we've kind of seen with this Utah team, and even with Troy Taylor and his play calling, is they have to have a rhythm for this team to kind of function. And it seemed like for the first three and a half quarters, there wasn't any rhythm. The guys just weren't in right positions. Things were just a little off. And once that drive, when they went 75 yards, and they kind of got that mojo going, then they're like a full steam engine, and it's hard to stop them. Britton Covey actually was interviewed today and, and, and talked about those slow starts. And he said that early in games, they're not converting third downs, which is just killing, obviously kills their drives. They punt the ball away and they have not been able to get that momentum that we're talking about early in games. It's taken them a while to kind of build up to it, to find that momentum and then go. And, and, and he talked about that's going to be the key come Friday is they've, they got to convert third downs early in the game so they can keep the offense on the field and find that momentum early. Not only that, to keep the special teams off the field. What is going on with our punt coverage or punt protection? Uh, J- Jamison Fields is a senior, <laughs> but I think he needs to find a new uh, group to go hang out with. Dude, the ball keeps finding that guy and bouncing off That's of like him. That's like their third or fourth time, right? It's the third time in one season. The same guy the ball has hit on punts. 
It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, that is you, some of the worst luck I've ever heard of. So and then and then the the bad snap on the punt. Um, she shanked into had the fifteenth shank, row. He had a hurry. The blocked field goal. It's interesting things that you could always put your hat on uh, with Utah in the past. Special teams has really been up and down, and not I don't think it's so much on Mitch and um, Gay. But the whole units as a whole have kind of been up and down. But that's what's disappointing is you've got weapons like Mitch and Gay, and you're really not able to take full advantage of them because it seems like Mitch is under duress every punt the last mm-hmm. three or four weeks. And I, I can't figure out why they can't sure up that protection. But I think those are really good points because going into the Washington game, Washington is, is such a good team. You have to beat them in every single facet of the game. And that's offense, defense, special teams, turnovers. And so the special teams, they it, it's hard because you're right, Scott. It, they are the best kickers in the country. And it's just little things like the snap being too low or too high or to the side. Or not so, even fast enough to get back. Or, Maybe that's part of the problem. Or Maybe the snap isn't getting to them fast enough. But it also, uh, we're going like full on, we're going way too deep into this bad boy, but... <laughs> It honestly seems like Wishnowski is is too close to the line of scrimmage. It does not look like he's he has the normal depth that a punter does. I did notice that when he was punting out of the end zone that one time. He he had still had five yards behind him to the back of the end zone, but he did look closer. Than and I don't know if that's a preference on his part or if that's maybe he he is at normal depth, but it is a it is something I noticed. But nonetheless. Against a good Washington team, you're not going to be able to get away with those types of mistakes. So, obviously, Covey was doing his job and pointing to where where the punt was going, and and it's up to the up to the um, his teammates to, to pay attention and stay away from the ball. But special teams, in my opinion, is going to be a key this week. You you you've got to have some big plays in the special teams department, I think, in order for Utah to come away with a victory. But we'll jump into that here in a bit. But yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully they can clean up special teams because uh, it is becoming a bit concerning. So before we wrap up the offense, I, I do want to talk about the quarterback position and running back. Jason Shelley goes nineteen to twenty-eight, one hundred forty-one yards, and no interceptions again. That's I think that's one thing that Jason Shelley has been phenomenal at is not creating turnovers, and that's key. I think that's been a big key to his success is he hasn't hurt the team at all with turnovers, interceptions, fumbles. Uh, he's had, what, two snaps that have been dropped since he's been the starter, but he's picked them right back up. So turnovers, I think, has is, is been awesome for Utah as far as the offense. Yeah, he, he has really protected the ball, which which is great. And, and I'm not saying he can't keep this up, but I don't think going into this Friday that he has faced the caliber of a defensive team that he will face this week so far. no there's there's no doubt about that this is going to be the best defense that he's gone up against and the secondary for washington that's their strength they their corners are elite and they put they put guys in the nfl each and every year from that secondary and and we saw it early on in the season in week three we couldn't complete passes we couldn't move the ball against that secondary so he is going to have to be accurate with the football and uh, and and know when to eat it and no one to maybe take a chance, mm-hmm. um, but but you're right. If 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 he does take that chance and it doesn't turn out so well, you know those are the types of critical plays that could be too much to overcome. So he's got he's got to protect the ball, 
but you can't be so conservative that you're just not throwing anything. Um, in the in the pocket against BYU, he didn't force anything, but there was many times where it left him scrambling and trying to find something. And mm-hmm. and um, especially in the first half, I think there was a lot of him just his his first read wasn't there, and he would dance around and then. He didn't. He just it, didn't it, do it was. He, it was he the first game he, he looked uncomfortable. He didn't in the seem pocket. real decisive early yeah. on in that game, and 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 probably part of that is he doesn't want to make the mistake. He doesn't want to throw, you know, a ball that uh, that's going to get picked off. And so, to an extent, you know, you appreciate that approach and and taking care of the football. But again, to win a big game, you can't be too conservative. You've got to be able to take some chances, and you got to convert those chances. And in that second half, it looked like. In the running back position, Utah ran a little bit more with TJ Green uh, than, like than Shine. Give me some TJ, baby. You called that last week, Scott, about having Green maybe start over Shine. And and he he I, got I, an early run and dropped that pass, and then he didn't see the field yeah, again for and, a bit. And I think that, but I think that's part of it is he didn't get any run in that first half, and he came in in the second half, and he sparked a lot of those drives. That that drive, the, our first offensive scoring drive in that third quarter, he had a few key plays, and and we just didn't even give him the opportunity. And now I will say, I think Shine showed a lot in that game. He he ran the hardest I think we've seen mm-hmm. in the in since he got the starting job. And I think especially around the goal line uh, in that fourth quarter, those were were key runs that he just he ran people over and I think that's the shine that I think Utah needs to have. He, he did, but I think the the difference that I noticed is when he got the ball there was an initial burst. It wasn't like he got the ball and then tried to decide which hole he was going to find. It was like he just he just took it and ran. There was a burst right from the beginning. Yeah, he knew which hole he wanted to go for and he hit it. That decisiveness is what made him successful is he hit the hole, he attacked, and then he was able to break tackles. And you got that from Shine as well. And, uh, I mean, I've been pretty kind of on the fence, somewhat critical of Shine so far this season. But I, in my opinion, that was his best game. And if you're, if you're getting that type of effort out of Shine, then this is a one-two punch that is good enough to take down a Washington team. But Shine has got to continue to run like that. That physicality, I mean, that... That fourth and two, um, roughly about midfield, he doesn't he doesn't get that first down if it wasn't for his second effort on Taki Taki. Taki Taki met him right in the hole and he put his head down and he pushed him back and to get that first down. If he doesn't get that, the comeback probably doesn't take place. So he had a he had a number of key carries and then with the speed and the different running style that the green brings to the table. You've got it. You've got to use that. You've got to get him out on the edges and and keep Washington off balance a little bit. And I think you're going to see Troy Taylor have a few wrinkles up his sleeve um, come come Friday night. I think I think he's going to utilize these guys in even some different positions than what we've seen this past game. I think we we saw some similar formations that we've seen in the past this season, but when we found success, at least against BYU. We were not using tight ends. Keithy didn't play much. Jackson didn't play much. Fotheringham, a little bit of time, but there wasn't a lot of tight end formations. 
No, the Utah definitely tried to st- spread the field and kind of tried to spread BYU out a little bit. But I think against Washington, you're going to see a different approach. I think you're going to see K- Keithy because those guys are targets. I would love to see Keithy matched up against one of their linebackers because he's got the speed to take advantage of mm-hmm. that. Fotheringham has proved proven to be a, a reliable pass catcher. So I, th- I think you're, I think you're going to see uh, a, a little bit of a change, and those guys are going to be a, a much bigger part of the game plan. Um, and, and quite frankly, you're going to need them. From my understanding, Brian Thompson will be back in this game. They sat him out um, so they would have him for this game, and still keep his redshirt uh, um, eligibility. Oh, interesting. Um, so you're going to have him. So, and I, and I think just overall. The game plan that we had against BYU, it was a bit vanilla. It was a bit conservative. We hardly, we hardly targeted Covey at all. Not until the second half. Not much use from the tight ends, and I, I think it was somewhat of an approach of we do not want to get Covey dinged up. We don't want a, a ton of hits on him. We want to keep him healthy for for this game. So I think part of it is they, you know, they they were designing that BYU plan with with this week in mind because they needed every hand on deck to be able to be healthy and ready to go all right one last thought about the offense jason shelley jumping over to the defender was honestly (laughs) the play of the night that was that was freaking awesome awesome. i mean he's what 510 and he got up over that guy and still was able to land it and pick up some more yardage which what was better though the stiff arm or the hurdle well, the stiff arm because he scored the and sealed the deal, but they were both pretty spectacular were, plays. He's he's a special kid. That 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 got the loudest cheer of the first half for sure. That got that got everybody out of out of their seats. Well, and then did you notice after that there's a couple more leaps by Utah Father players Ham, after that? Fotheringham was successful on his, and then TJ Green, Green tried. not so much. TJ Green ended up being a little bit more helmet to helmet. <laughs> so moving on to the defense again, a tell of two halves. The first half, the defense gave up 247 yards. Uh, the second half, only giving up 110. And really, 44 of those yards came on one drive. So, again, the defense started out slow. Um, you can't fault them entirely. I think they were on the field way too long because the offense wasn't helping them out by by staying on the field. So, the defense was on the field for the entire first half. I will say, though, they did step up uh, when they absolutely had to. If you look at the fourth quarter, uh, all of BYU drives. Uh, so BYU uh, started a drive just at the end of the third quarter, and that went. That drive resulted in five yards. They went five yards again, eight yards, and then the last drive of 26 yards. So that fourth quarter, they held BYU to 44 yards with 19 plays. That's phenomenal, and I think the offense is getting a lot of pub and a lot of run for how they came back in this game, but I think the defense came back just as strong, if not even stronger, because when Utah had to get stops, they did, whether it was third and one, fourth and one, the defense stepped up. Defense was huge. I mean, obviously, to get those stops, you could you can come back and score the points, but if the defense didn't continue to get stops in that in that second half or that fourth quarter, it doesn't matter. So the defense was huge in what they were able to do and keep that momentum that the offense had gained. And, uh, I mean, you look at, uh, I, I think to an extent, BYU got a little conservative. Um, they did not want another pick six or a quick score. Um, third and nine, and and they're running it up the gut with like their four-string running back. 
mean, why are you not putting it in Wilson's hands and letting the kid go yeah. do something? And I said that. Well, that when that happened, I turned around and said that to you. And I just and if I was a BYU fan and the game's getting tighter and third and nine, you give it to your running back and they end up turning. Give it's a punt. Back. It's it, a punt on it, third down unless he breaks something big. But against the D line that was playing extremely well at that point, it was essentially a punt. And I think BYU got a little too conservative. A Rod, A Rod's in full effect <laughs> was all over that offense late, and, uh, and and let's be honest, that that helped. That helped Utah get them off the field quickly and get our offense back on there. So th- there's a lot lot to be said, but obviously the defense showed up, um, missed missed a lot of sacks. Max well, Max Tupai. Had he probably could have had five sacks himself, and he just he just could not bring Wilson down. And we talked about that last week about how they have struggled against quarterbacks that are mobile, uh, that are uh, that can escape pressure. Uh, we knew kind of going in, Zach Wilson uh, was able to do that. Jake Browning isn't quite as elusive as as Zach Wilson. I'll tell you I what that helps. You, but if you listen to Kyle Whittingham today, he was just gushing about the escapability <laughs> of of uh, Browning, and I thought. Did I miss something? And I don't. I don't remember Brown, Browning being all that great, uh, escaping and and running with the ball. I'm sure he's pretty darn serviceable, but I think I think Wit was laying it on a little bit thick um, in that regard. But I. But yeah, I don't think he's got. He doesn't have the straight line speed that Wilson does. Um, and and I think uh, with with how well our defensive ends are currently playing, they're going to be able to get to him. The question is, can they bring him down and and bring those huge momentum sacks to the table? Uh, one guy I was r- super impressed with, Francis Bernard. So was Dick Harmon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you tag his mom in, in that? <laughs> hashtag, oh, not hashtag. Hashtag mom. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, the, that the punch so, heard around the world. That was so weak. I mean, if you're gonna throw it out there, at least watch the whole video clip, and then don't throw someone's mom in at it. That is that is so childish. He is fanboy at its best, right there. So yeah, so Francis Bernard, eight tackles, six solo tackles on there. But for someone who hasn't really played all season, just because of how well the linebacking crew has played. Uh, you know, Utah went more of a three linebacker set, what they haven't really done all season. Yeah, you didn't see much Gidry because uh yeah, putting an extra linebacker on the field and 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 Bernard produced. Mm-hmm. I mean he yeah. he obviously had some emotion to play in that game and uh, and he, he wanted to he wanted to make his presence known. Uh, that I mean he can play. I mean that's there's no question. He came in when Chase got ejected in the previous game and did a fantastic job and just carried it over to this game. So I mean moving forward, we're in great shape in the linebacker position for next year. Even though we lo- we're losing two really, really good linebackers. Looking at that situation with Francis Bernard stepping in, I think that really just shows where these two programs are. The depth that Utah has versus the depth that BYU doesn't have. And if you look at the course of the game, when BYU kind of got worn out, when guys were getting injured, uh, like like a Hadley or a Kafusi, guys on their roster that were producing at a high level for them all game, and when they got dinged up, they missed them badly. Whereas if you have Utah, you know you can't put in a third, even a fourth-string guy 
and they're producing at a high level. Uh, to me, this game really shows where these two programs are at what levels they are, especially at depth. Well, you, you, you see, we've seen it for a few years now at Utah when you've got, you've got like eight guys on the D line who can start at most colleges around this country and you just rotate them in and they stay fresh the entire game. That's, that's the difference between P five and independent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear, clear as day, the difference in, in talent level and depth and, and until BYU can really take that next step, nothing's going to change. I mean, even putting the game at the start of the year, you know, they can talk about all, all they want, how many guys they were missing. But guess what? Every team's missing guys. And uh, so it really comes down to depth. Utah's a great example of that. We did not have the depth needed early in the Pac-12, and we saw how, how much that affected us and how hard it is to be successful. Especially as we got into week November. Week in and week out, exactly. And so it takes time to build that up. You know, and, and in my opinion, BYU's taken a step down even from the Mountain West Conference days. So they, they got to climb back to the to that before they can even start climbing Above and beyond, how are they and approaching gonna, the level we're at. But how are they going to how are they going to do that as an independent? They can go out and that, say all they want to these football the, players. The, the but, beauty, the beauty of it, not my problem. <laughs> no, I, and, I, and I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and try to come up with a plan for them. But I'm saying, you're you're saying that what they need to do is build their depth. But as an independent, I don't think they can. Well, I'll tell you this. I hope they stay independent because it's working tremendously for Utah. <laughs> and in real in retrospect, I think they made a mistake. I think they need to get into a conference, but I don't really care what they do because I I care what Utah does. And and, and we talked about it last week. This this rivalry is losing its luster because they're not winning. It's really one-sided. Now, this game was a little bit different because they got so far ahead, and it really, I think, it kind of brought a lot of juice out of you fans. How badly they still want this game when you when you get down twenty on your home field to to BYU. But uh, I, I mean, totally see what you're saying. But how how much of that was we wanted Utah to win versus who we were playing? Oh, but but I mean, we want to win against Podunk State. Whoever's on BYU's November schedule, right? I mean, it doesn't matter who who we're playing. We're always going to want Utah to win, but it is it is always fun to watch Utah be BYU. And th- there's still some juice there, but until something else happens, there's there's a there's a Grand Canyon between these two teams right now, and people will argue that all day long. It was a close game. Every rivalry game's close. Sure, just because they're close doesn't mean there's not. A huge difference. Anything can happen in one game, but what do you do over an entire season against a high level of competition? Utah right now has a 17th ranked strength of schedule in the country. BYU's is horrific. They played some good teams early, but they've been playing a bunch of nobodies. And so you can look pretty good and and get away with a lot when, when you're playing that level of talent late in the season. So they've got a long way to go. But I don't want to spend the rest of the time talking about BYU. That's a good way to to leave that game against the team down south. Uh, so a big win for Utah, 35-27, eight in a row. And heck, 
they'll play BYU to start the season in 2019. Shall we start the hashtag nine is fine? All right, before we move on to talking about the Washington game, we want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Farmers Insurance for protecting your home, vehicle, and family. Look to Farmers Insurance. Call Scott Omer at 801-307-4046. You can also look him up on Twitter at Scott underscore Omer and then the number eight. So we do have some special guests on this episode. We have Alex and BT from the Dog Pod podcast, and they're on the phone. Let's hurry and bring them on to kind of get their view of Washington Huskies. But how are you guys doing tonight? Hey, man, great. Doing uh, doing great. Very excited that you guys ripped off another uh, eighth consecutive Holy War victory. Uh, you, you, <laughs> you scared us a little bit there in the first half. Um we, we were we were looking ahead to you guys. Oh my gosh! I didn't want my Twitter feed to blow up with uh, all the, all the BYU fans saying "Real South Champion." So uh, very pleased you guys you guys you guys pulled that out, and uh, I think not only congrats on making the Pac twelve um, Pac twelve South and making the championship, but I think it's like further proof based on what Colorado did two years ago and what you guys have done is that it was actually absolutely the right move to move to 12 teams and, you know, versus like Maryland and Rutgers and other teams that have just, you know, looked back on that decision, you know, as a poor one, this has absolutely been the right two teams to bring on uh, and it's proven itself by you guys making this, making this game. So congrats. With a team that has a lot of seniors and getting to the Pac-12 championship game by beating your rivals in Pullman, how jacked is, is this Washington team to, to play in the championship game? It's looking pretty dire there in October, right? They they kind of uh, split four games in October and hadn't looked very good doing it. And I think now you look and Washington has been playing a lot better in the last four games uh, than they were earlier in the season. So I think there's a lot of momentum right now. And I think fans are really excited. They had kind of fans had kind of beaten themselves down a little bit. Like, man, this is a disappointing season. Now you see as as they've won as the seasons wore on. Um, I think everybody is getting a lot more excited and, and they'll be jacked as well for Friday night. I think fans here are really excited to go back to the Rose Bowl if, if they could pull it out on Friday. Um, so those are, uh, I think there's no shortage of motivation on Washington's side. I, I mean, I, w- I would agree with that. I think that, you know, anytime that you start the season as high as fifth in the polls, um, you know, you're thinking CFP and you're, you know, thinking playoffs. I think that we may have shrugged our shoulders a little bit about that. I, I predicted a 10 and two season. I didn't think we were going to get Auburn and I thought either uh, Oregon or, um, or Cal was going to get us. And unfortunately they both did. But, you know, in the end of the day, I think this isn't really the year to be in the CFP. We're seeing a, a transcendent Alabama team and a Clemson team that I don't know if you want that this year. This is like, this is a year where a Rose Bowl is, is absolutely any year. A Rose Bowl is incredible. Yeah. But this is the year where I think that's the prize. The one thing I would say, though, um, I, I hope that our team is more excited than our fan base is, speaking very honestly about this Pac-12 championship. You know, two years ago, People were making hotel reservations two, three weeks out. You know, we felt very confident going into the game against Wazoo. We were favorites. And, you know, from our tailgate crew, we, we had a tailgate of, I think, 40, 50 fans, uh, all at, all, all there, um, out in front of Levi Stadium. And this year, um, I mean, I, very few people. I mean, I can count on one hand the number of people I know flying out from Seattle. Uh, and my concern is that I feel that to be totally frank, I think that the fan base is looking ahead. 
and, you know, making this, hey, you know, I'm just going to hold out for the Rose Bowl and hold out for the Rose Bowl. And, you know, without understanding, we're going against an incredibly good Utah team. Started as a three-point line. The team's playing so much better than we uh, when we played you in week three. Uh, look, the fan base, I hate to say it, I think is looking ahead a little bit. Um, I just hope the team isn't looking ahead. And that's interesting that you say that, because as far as a Utah side, I think they've announced that Utah has sold their allotment uh, of tickets. Utah fans are really jacked for this game. Uh, but as, wow. on the Washington side, where do you guys think that Washington may have an advantage going in? Well, I think um, on the offensive side of the ball, they've really started to get clicking, and they've also really started to get healthy. And in the running game, I think that was so important in that first matchup in September with Utah. Um, and that's really back at full strength, I think, right now. So they've been running the ball really, really well. Um, and so I, I think that I know that that's a strength of Utah's is the, the defense up front. But I know that Chris Peterson, the Huskies, will want to attack them on the ground. And then secondly, I would just say defensively, they've really started to figure out um, the pass rushing a little bit better in the last several weeks. And so I think that the play up front, uh, you know, if I look at this game and say, Hey, Utah against Washington, um, you know, those two teams, that, whoever wins the battle up front is going to win that game. And I feel like Washington is really peaking right now on both sides of the ball in that area. So I, I think that that's an area I might give them an advantage. If I was going to add anything uh, to that, um, the addition of Hunter, of Hunter Bryant coming back, who you know is an NFL caliber tight end, who is just now healthy. We didn't see in Week Three against Utah, you know. And watching the uh, the Holy War, you know what Bushman was able to do on split out wide, big tight end from uh, from BYU, and and you know, and I think that the Utah corners a little bit could get picked on by a Ty Jones, um, by a Hunter Bryant, who they haven't seen before. So that could definitely be one, uh, one area of strength. And then, I mean, I hate to say that I love coach Witt. I think he's great. Um, if I was a Utah fan, I'd be always terrified every time a big opening comes up. Uh, but you know, I still give an advantage to, to coach Peterson in terms of game preparation, him just finding ways to win from a coaching perspective. But you know, those are the, are the areas that we have advantages of, but we, we definitely have disadvantages as well. Well, the, it's interesting that you bring up Peterson. I think Whittingham is one in five against him in their career. So definitely Peterson does have that upper hand. You guys need to give me something as a Utah fan to hope on to. So are there any concerns oh. with this Washington team? <laughs> I mean, yeah, if, you're, if your special teams is shaky, ours is unadulterated hot garbage. <laughs> Every single phase of special teams of, you know, are missing big field goals that would have come the, uh, won the Oregon game. Getting one blocked for two points against Wazoo. We can't cover the punt. Uh, we can't cover the kick. We can't return kicks. We bobble. We, bo- we look at the Wazoo, look at the Apple Cup. I mean, every single phase of it, even, um, yeah, I mean, it, it has been such a mess. And then, I mean, the only thing I'd add, and then a lot I could jump in is, you know, what is Utah going to do with the Browning gift? Browning has a gift for you in store. He always does. It's, you know, <laughs> throwing, throwing, throwing a pick, uh, throwing a pick to one of your linemen, you know, week three um, in the Apple Cup. He's throwing a pick in the red zone across the middle that he shouldn't throw. He's got a gift in him. And what do you do with it? And the teams that end up beating us turn that into six. And those that don't aren't able to convert. Yeah, and I'll just add that uh, I think if, if Utah's going to win this game, it's going to be an ugly, low-scoring type of game because I, I think Washington's defense is, is I think, has earned the trust, um, and I, I think that they're going to be really solid. Shelley presents a def- definite challenge in terms of his mobility, 
but Washington plays a really disciplined scheme, contains the edge, and does the things that they need to do on, on against players like that. So I, I think Utah needs to capitalize, like BT said, on any mistakes that get made and then turn a big play on special teams. And, and I could see them winning this game for sure. Do you guys have your uh, pick for the game? Who do you think is going to win? You know, I, I we're homers, we're biased. So I, I I'm on the Huskies, but uh, I definitely when that line moved up to four and a half, I I was like, oh, uh oh, that's not the game I see. I I see this from being a really ugly slugfest, and uh, you know, the team with the ball last and makes the most of their opportunities is probably going to win it. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's, I I, tr- I trust in Coach Peterson to get this team ready and get them more jacked up than the fan base is right now for this game and to come up with a good game plan. Um, we've been there before. We've been there two years ago. Gaskin um, and, and, and really Browning, Ackman, and everyone is playing just on fire right now. I hope that everyone stopped thinking about the Apple Cup win, has moved forward. I like him here. Um, I didn't like him against Auburn. I, again, I thought they would lose a Pac-12 game or two, uh, but I, I hate to say, I mean, I do like my Huskies this week, but I mean, regardless, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of you guys down there. I mean, adding adding uh, Utah to the to the Pac-12, not only to create a wave in for us, um, but excited to, uh, to tailgate with a lot of the guys that uh, we tailgated with that uh, at the game in Salt Lake City a few years back. So this is going to be a good one. Perfect. So I think that will do it for uh, this segment and this phone call. Uh, Alex BT, where can people find the dog pod? You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DogPod. Um, easy to find us and uh, easy to find us on iTunes as well. But uh, looking forward to it, guys. And, and go dogs. Let's get a win, Huskies. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Go Utes. So a big thank you to Alex and BT. Again, go follow them. Check them out at the Dog Pod. They're a great follow and get really good insight leading up to the game with the Huskies. So let's talk about this game, guys. I'm getting nervous. Wit against oh, Chris I'm Peterson. I'm I'm, I'm 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 scared, but I'm I, I'm I'm stoked. I'm Jack. This is a big big opportunity for this program. Wit's bound to break through at some point. No, right? this is yeah. This is huge. This is this is what we came to podcast about. This is the biggest week in Utah football. Maybe ever bigger than At least Sugar it's Bowl. The Sugar Bowl. I, well, bigger than the Sugar Bowl. I, I think it is because this game puts you in the Rose Bowl. I mean, the granddaddy of them all. And that this, Sugar Bowl did eventually, ten years later, give us a national championship. <laughs> that's true. It was. A, it was you a have said delayed. Whittingham still writes on that 08. He does, but I'll tell you what: getting to the Rose Bowl cements his statue out front. It, it, it's a game changer. And not only what that does for the perception of this program, I mean, that's what Utah's fighting for, right? Is, is we have gained, we have gained the respect and the notoriety here on the West Coast, Pac-12 schools, Pac-12 teams with what we've accomplished. But Utah's still got a long ways to go to, to really get that national landscape of respect and, and, and that draw whether it's for just televised games, bowl games, right? ESPNs of the world, they want the big name teams in the big bowl games. And I mean that's what that's how Oregon has gotten to where they have is they came on the scene as as really having never accomplished anything big. They blew up, played in big games, played for a national title, and now year after year they have that spotlight on them. And and this is Utah's opportunity to to go and to win a Pac-12 title, which is huge, and then play in the Rose Bowl. It doesn't get bigger than this, baby. 
This is this is I can hardly wait till Friday. Five PM Pacific time. Let's go. And Scott's lucky enough he'll be in person in Levi Stadium. I will be covering the game from my seat in Levi Stadium, probably wearing some Levi's, cheering on the Utes. And uh, and he wasn't nice enough to take Cameron or me. Well, but... the the budget's small for the Utah Man <laughs> Podcast. It, it, this is this is a big game. This is this is huge. And I think as you listen to the the post game remarks from a lot of the players. This this is huge for them. I mean, Chase Hansen alluded to the fact that this has been a goal since he set foot on campus at U- at Utah to play for a for a conference championship. And I don't and I think these guys are focused. I'm not saying they're going to go up there and win. I hope they go up there and win. But and it's going to be tough, but these guys want it badly. Damari Simpkins tweeted out how he's quite frankly just sick of losing to these guys. You know, the team is sick of it. The fan base is sick of losing to Washington. I mean, granted, we have all the respect in the world for Chris Peterson and the program that he runs and 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 his teams, but we're sick of it. I don't I don't want to lose to these guys anymore. And quite frankly, in this setting, how sweet would it be to take him down? That would be awesome to claim our first Pac-12 title. Utah's gonna have to play a heck of a game, but I'll tell you what. I like Kyle Winningham in big games. He doesn't have the time to prepare like a like a typical bowl game where he's so successful. But I'll put my money on Kyle getting getting his team ready for a big game, especially as an underdog. He can sleep after this week, and I think that's around the, key. the clock coaching. That's the key right there. We are in the situation that we thrive on. Sugar Bowl, nobody gave us a chance. People didn't even think we should have been in the game, and we came out and absolutely embarrassed a good Alabama team. And it's going to take that type of performance to go and beat Washington because they are they are just sound. Offense, defense, maybe not so much special teams as, uh, as we heard uh, from the dog pod, but um, you know they're a good football team, and it's going to be a tough task. But I, I love the position we're in. So one thing I think is in Utah's favor is it's hard to beat a team once. I think it's even harder to beat them twice. So obviously Washington and Utah played earlier this season uh, the first Pac-12 uh, game, in fact, uh, for the whole conference, and Washington won 21-7. to If you look back at that game, I mean, Huntley threw the ball 38 times. Moss only carried it 13 times. I think at that point, the offense was still trying to find their identity. Oh, yeah, we had no idea. And I listened to our podcast after that game uh, this past weekend, and I thought it's what we all harped about was not really knowing what this offense was or was what we're trying to accomplish. And if you look, Utah's offense has progressed immensely since then. Mm-hmm. I think even Winningham talked about that in his Monday presser, about how much better this offense has come since that time. And 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 that and that's in our favor, right? Because this this Washington defense, which is good, they have not gone up against an, a Utah offense that's been really clicking. And uh, even I mean, last year, when we gave away the the victory up there in in Washington, the offense wasn't great. No, but we were starting to hit a stride a little bit. But yeah, by no means were we putting up forty points a game. And, uh, you know, we found that identity and we found we found something that's worked and we become really good at it. These are my two keys to a Ute victory this week. The defense has 
got to contain Gaskins. That was, I think, that was the big key in the loss earlier this year. Yeah, he, not he, not only well, we couldn't score, which was obviously a detriment to but winning I mean, the game. They, they only put up twenty one points. They did, but he had one hundred and forty rushing yards. He got loose on several occasions, and obviously, we ended up we ended up losing that game. So, key number one is limit the yardage that Gaskins picks up on the ground and two on offense protecting the ball. We we can't turn it over because their defense is good enough to make us pay if we do turn it over and then turning the if we turn it over and create short fields for their offense where we're doomed. Right, I think those are our great points. You know, one thing looking about that game that Washington won earlier this season is that the game, even though it was 21-7, it was pretty close. Washington just had some big plays that they were able to execute and, and score off of. I mean, Miles Gaston had a, a, like a 40-yard run. They had a wide receiver run the ball for 40 yards. They had an Aaron Fuller had a 40-yard completion. So they made some big plays, and I think that really helped their offense move against against the Utah defense. So if they Utah defense has got to limit those home run plays. Or at be, least counter them with our offense. I mean, if if, you, if, you, if our defense is going to give up a big play and a score, our offense has got to do the same thing to counter that. But 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 at the same time, we only gave up 21 points to Washington early on in the season. Now, granted, they, their offense was not you know a well oiled machine at that point. They're 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 playing a lot better now. But they're going to get some big plays. I mean, uh, good football teams make plays, so they're they're going to get some against us. But we've got to limit it. You cannot have too many that just break your back. And it's kind of kind of the old adage. Right now, Utah's got a great number one in the country red zone defense. So you can give up the plays, just don't let it go for a touchdown. And then get the defense back out there and make them settle for those field goals instead of giving up touchdowns. Because they're going to get their yards, they're going to get their they're going to get their plays, but you got to limit the touchdowns at the end of those plays so that they're settling for field goals. And you know, at the end of the day, I see it being I see this being a kind of a low scoring game. I don't think you're going to see either team in the 30s. I think I think it's going to be a defensive battle. So you've got to limit every opportunity you can. And I mean, I agree I agree with your takes, Ryan. From my perspective, I think defense has to score a touchdown or special teams has to score a touchdown in this game. You've got to get a bonus score. I'm just not sure the offense has what it what it needs to go put up 28-plus points. I think you're going to need some help along the way. And when you get a lineman that gets an interception, you he's, need him to hold on to the ball. He's got to he take it the all the way zone. in, baby. No, and We didn't even get any points on that last time. No, we didn't. No. no. <laughs> we we dropped it on fourth and one going in the end zone by our third string tight end. But I will say this. Doc Pod mentioned it. Every game, Browning gives away a gift. He, he He's done it multiple times to Utah over the years. He throws a boneheaded pick. He does something stupid. When that happens, can Utah take advantage of it? We didn't last time they were in Salt Lake City. We got to do it this time. When when that opportunity comes, and they fumble the ball, they throw a bad pick. We have got to take advantage of it, and you got to make them pay with touchdowns. Blackman's confidence is up now after that pick six. That's right. Just don't jump too many routes and get beat deep. 
All right, and before we get into our picks of the Washington-Utah game, let's go ahead and get into our Pac-12 and 12, and that's brought to you by Doubletree Suites by Hilton in Salt Lake City at 110 West, 600 South. Give them a call at 801-359-7800. So before we recap the games from last week, we do have some news that have happened kind of over the weekend Coming out of Arizona, Nikhil Harry announces that he plans to go to the NFL. Not surprised by it, you guys. Thank you, Nikhil. Three cheers for that decision. Should be a really high draft pick. I think he's projected to be the number one wide receiver in the class. So, good news. Good news for Utah. And then Khalil Tate, when asked if he's coming back next season, his response was, next question. And there's even more speculation today with sources claiming uh, that uh, he may be transferring from the program. So definitely some uh, some key losses potentially in the, the Pac-12 South. It's really in- interesting with Tate. Less than a year ago, they were talking Heisman for this season for him. He was dictating what coach could be brought in. And if he leaves early, that could spill a lot of trouble uh, for the Wildcats. We like trouble for the Wildcats. Yep. Leave leave Khalil. Leave. Ease your pain. And then a rumor that's popped up over the weekend that I think is very interesting. Texas Tech has an opening for their head coach, and Mike Leach's name is supposedly on the top of the list. He's not going back. Dude, he locked dudes up in sheds over there. I don't think they'd want him back. Wasn't there a lawsuit when he left? Yeah, it's still ongoing. So there may be some big boosters that want him back. Obviously, they want him back. But there's no way that administration's going to bring him back. And quite frankly, I don't think there's any way he would want to go back there at this point. If if he's leaving Washington State, it's going to be for a bigger program than Texas Tech. And and selfishly, I know there is some takes out there that, you know, if he leaves, hey, that's good for us, right? But honestly, this... Our conference has got to pr- improve, and it's got to it's got to get a better perception. The only way that's going to happen is having good quality coaches here who are successful, even though if that makes it harder for Utah. But uh, you you got to you got to be able to keep quality coaches and not let them go to other other programs. All right, so that will kind of do it for the news that's come out um, over the past weekend. So if we look back at last week's games uh, and our running total, I tied. Scott on the season, we're both forty-two and twenty-one. Well, who who keeps track of this? I do. Yep, that's why. <laughs> and Ryan is one game over five hundred at thirty-two and thirty-one. Ryan went one in one in six last week. Well, it's because I picked all the underdogs <laughs> trying to catch up. That's what you say. Yeah. Failed. I'm gonna Ben Ben McAdams and Mia love this. I want to recount. <laughs> So the first game we're looking at, uh, Washington beats Washington State 28-15. to One thing that I thought was really funny after the game was the Washington D coordinator calling out Mike Leach and his offense at Washington State, saying they run the same thing that they've been running for the last five years. It's completely predictable, and that's how they were able to defeat them. I think, it, I think that comment's funny, and it may be true to a certain extent, but come on. A, a pass, an air attack offense is going to be hampered in that type of weather. That was the biggest key to that game. Well, let's let's also not pretend that Washington is the only one that has that game plan to stop Washington <laughs> State. I mean, come on. Obviously, you got to have the athletes, and uh, 
they've obviously got a scheme that's working well against Washington State because they've had great success against it. But the weather and everything included in that, uh, I think uh, I think Washington's coaches like to run their mouse a little too much. So I hope so we're, let's shut them up this week. I hope we're I hope we're running our mouse all over them. And the next game, Oregon beats Oregon State in the Civil War, fifty-five to fifteen. OSU finishing two and ten overall. You got to feel for the OSU program. They just they can't seem to get it together. They need. I think the Beavs need like a Dennis Erickson reboot or a Mike Riley reboot. What program shouldn't rehire that same coach three times? <laughs> the next game, Stanford narrowly beats UCLA forty-nine to forty-two. Thank you, Trees. That's how I was able to catch Scott Costello for Stanford. Throws five touchdowns. Uh, UCLA finishes three and nine under Chip Kelly. Do you guys feel that that's a success in year one of the Chip Kelly era? From a win-loss standpoint, no. From their ability to put points on the board, they got a lot better as the year progressed. Defensively, they, they're not good. They did, but or as many points as they scored, they gave up. It was like so, watching the Jim Fossil era. Of yeah, Utah. they uh, again. I you know I and I know many people have been saying this. I'm still not convinced he's going to do anything special at UCLA. He's, he hasn't reinvented anything like he did at, at Oregon. And there's a culture at UCLA of just underperforming, and you get these entitled, highly recruited kids who just don't get the job done. So if he can turn it around, kudos to him, but I'm not holding my breath. Well, and their quarterback, who was helpful in scoring touchdowns, is gone now. They're spate as a senior. And then next to the Utah-BYU game, this was probably the most exciting game in conference. ASU comes away 41-40 to over Arizona uh, for the Territorial Cup. Arizona blows a 19-point lead. Ooh, how BYU-like of them. That was awful. Now, had Oregon not taken care of business the week before, we would have been dying watching that fourth quarter and Arizona give up that lead. That would have been awful. We would have lost the South on an errant field goal from some stupid Arizona kicker. I can't even imagine how furious I would have been. But with that being said, I'm not buying this Herm Edwards stuff anymore either. He gets so much love for being a 7-5 and five team with a senior quarterback. Number one wide receiver. Number one wide receiver. Everyone's like, oh, we didn't expect him to do this well. I think he exceeded expectations. He got the he has ended up with the same record that Todd Graham had and got fired with. So excuse me for not being over the hill about Herm Edwards. And I, I this media love for Herm is getting beyond ridiculous. The thing with Herm Edwards is when you have a coach, or excuse me, you have a CEO come out and say they don't like recruiting, it's going to be interesting what he can do the rest of, of the way there. Uh, the next game, Cal beats Colorado 21-33. to Cal finishes 7-4. and Has Cal turned the corner? Are they a team that's on the rise in the Pac-12, or was this kind of they got lucky in some games? No, they've got a great defense. Their uh, their offense has a ways to go. Um, they're they're the early Pac-12 days of Utah. Great defense, struggle offensively. Um, well, but, they, to help them if they decide on a quarterback. Yeah, I mean they they are uh, yeah they got like co quarterbacks times three over there. <laughs> they, they've got to figure some things out. But 
they do have one heck of a defense. So I think uh, they're going to be a test next year when they're on the schedule for us. And Colorado finishes 5-7. and seven, Started the season winning five straight. You thought they could get to a bowl game and, and lose their last seven games. Uh, That's one way to go out. <laughs> it cost Bad Haircut his job. So it'll be interesting where Colorado goes. I am shocked they didn't fight for him. I'm shocked they didn't just win one for him on the way out. And then the last game, Notre Dame, USC, 24-17. to USC put up a, a good fight. They were ahead at halftime, uh, but Notre Dame just, was just too good for USC. Clay Helton had a press conference. He is coming back. So good news for the rest of the Pac-12. A lot of that, Scott, as you said last week, probably 20 million reasons why he's still there. Yeah, that's 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 a lot even for USC to to handle. And Lin Swan, he's going with the idea that they need some continuity. And to an extent, I agree with that because they've been firing coaches left and right over the last eight years or so. So good idea to, to create some continuity, but the question still remains whether Helton's the right guy to, to lead that program. And then for this week's game, Utah and Washington are playing in the Pac-12 championship game. So Washington opened as a three-point favorite. It's kind of moved uh, more towards Washington. By the time we're recording this, it's about four and a half, a five-point spread. Scott, your week to go first. Who are you taking and your score? Well, this you know you don't come all this way and uh, and hang on the fence on this one. So this is going to be pretty cut and dry. We've been talking about it all podcast, right? We're the underdogs. Nobody, and I mean nobody, is picking Utah to win this game. Nobody nationally, nobody outside the state of Utah. And some Oregon fans who hate the Huskies. But uh, on this one, you know, I'm believing in wit. I'm believing in this staff. Troy Taylor, um, I think we're going to get the job done. I love it. Us against the world. We're going to play that card. Utah thrives in that. I think uh, I think it's going to be a low-scoring affair. I think we're going to get a special teams. Special teams is due. They are due. Okay, We have had nothing of significance come from them once this year. Something's going to happen. Something's good is going to happen. We're going to get a special team score. Offense is going to put uh, three touchdowns on the board. I think we win 28, Washington 21. Oh, and with that being said, we will then be Pac-12 champs. We will be en route. I'm going to be in San Francisco. I may just drive straight to the Rose Bowl and hang out there. For until, a month? Until January 1st. I'll go to Disneyland. I'm, I'll play golf. There's a lot of preparation that needs to take place. So, um, And you're not inviting us? Well, again, that budget of the Utah Man podcast may not come through. So I think this game's going to be really close. Witt just has a hard time against Chris Peterson. That's oh, not going well we for go. Utah. We're going down this road. Washington has played in this game before. I, I, Utah's just, never been in this situation. I'm just saying right now, I don't want to be a part of this podcast with him anymore. <laughs> Here it comes. I'm going to get ran out for this. I think Washington wins, and I have it 24 to 20. Wow. Damn, I can't believe you're doing that, dude. Are you serious? I hope I'm wrong. Right? where are you going? Wait, wait, wait. A couple uh, of weeks ago, you did the same thing. Were you wrong then? Was it the ASU game you no, picked? No, it was the Oregon game. He picked Oregon. Okay, stick with it. I am uh, going opposite of Cameron on this. 
because I believe that Utah will get this done. I don't think we're going to score as many points as Scott says we're going to score. But the defense comes to play, limits Washington scoring, and we get just enough. Utah 17, Washington 14. Oh, wow. Old-fashioned barn burner. All right, so that will do it for this show. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. Drum, the letter N, Feather. And Scott? You can find me in the Rose Bowl, for starters. Because <laughs> we're winning this dang thing. All right? You hear me? Let's go. Utah man underscore forever. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Utah Man Podcast. You can always find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you can find a podcast. We are there. And hopefully I'm wrong and Utah gets a victory and wins the Pac-12 championship. Unbelievable. And go Utes. Hopefully you're wrong. Go Utes. I can't believe him. Go Utes. We'll be till I freaking die. Cry eye. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah. Oh, I'm gonna start damn. bringing like one of those like chess clocks, you know. <laughs> and so when when Scott starts talking, we hit it. Time's up. And then when it's us, we hit it. Oh no, you want to? Oh, Cam, that was such a good idea to come up and talk about uniforms. <laughs> as long as they're gray, <laughs> oh, gray with a beehive. You know what? Somebody on Twitter tweeted me today, and they're like, "I hope they come out with gray uniforms." And I was like, "Did you lose it?" I don't even know who you For are. For this game? Yeah. Because I said, someone said, oh, I hope we do the winged helmets. And I'm like, this is the biggest game we're going to play in. It, our logo better be on the helmet. And they're like, I hope they do gray. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like. I want gray with a beehive. Oh, my god! Beehive crap. You and your beehives. My high school baseball coach, we were not very good. But he'd say, you know what? If we looked look good, we'll play good. It didn't work. But mentally... <laughs> Mentally, it worked, just not physically. It'll strangle you with my microphone wire. It was, it was Scott in the basement with the microphone wire. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> I'll go to prison for that. <laughs> That's why I hate you, Scott. <laughs> if you leave, wasn't Superman's dad's name Khalil? I don't know. I'm, I haven't done his genealogy. <laughs>